my name is Wes Pogue. I am not uh, the pastor here. Uh, that is Mike. He is actually suffering for Jesus in Florida uh, with a large group of students. The funny thing was last week, he said he was going to Florida to escape the weather, and all I've seen so far is rain. There's a part of me that is smiling inside and wants to remind him that you said you were going for better weather, and it's no different. Um, we also have several of our students who are out and about doing mission work. Those will, Some will be leaving tomorrow, some who have already left. We have three of our students in Romania right now. Uh, we have a couple of students who are with Mike in Florida and other places, and then we have several who will be leaving on various trips as far as Seattle uh, and other places abroad and just uh, out for the week doing mission work. And so I ask that you, as their youth pastor, I ask that you would be praying for them. Um, and I guess pray for Mike. Uh, there's no, there's no masseuse this time, so um, you know maybe he'll he'll be able to make it. Maybe not. We don't know yet. Um, so uh, today uh, we're going to be in Philippians chapter four, and I want to to kind of put some things together in what may be a familiar passage. Uh, Philippians chapter four. I cannot remember the black hardback page number. Uh, if you have it, shout it out. 982. Thank you, sir. Uh, if you're looking for it, it's a little bitty book. Uh, if you're going freestyle, uh, start in Matthew and go right. If you're in Revelation or Maps, you've gone too far. Um, so, Philippians chapter 4. Now, what do Dr. Pepper, chocolate, meat, and social media have in common? <laughs> and we're done. <laughs> Scratch that from the recording. Um, Chris, if you're hearing that outside and wondering why everybody's laughing, your husband just threw you under the bus. Um, she's smiling and she's going to come back and elbow you. No. Um, maybe. <laughs> now I'm all flustered. <laughs> maybe. Um, and typically some of the things that people give up during Lent. Typically things that are... Uh, <laughs> uh, typically things that are of this nature are things that um, we look at and we say, I'm going to give this up for Lent. I am going to not do this for the next 40 days. I am not going to... Um, I've got you picking on me on this side, and I've got these picking on me on this side. You know, you're in good company when uh, you get picked on while you're preaching. Um, anyway, but one of the things I was looking at as I was thinking about this is, what are some other things that people typically give up during the season? I saw things, I saw this, uh, I was just curious, and so I saw this, had to be a Catholic youth group. Uh, preparing for their CCE classes or something because it was like, uh, don't give up going to confessional. Uh, don't give up going to Mass. Uh, or I'm going to give up not going to Mass. I know there was all kinds of things. Some people were saying weird things like, I'm going to give up um, driving over the speed limit. I'm not going to touch that one. Um, <laughs> All of these pieces starting to go together, and I started thinking, why do we do this? What is it that is, that is 
the value of giving something up for Lent. Why do we do these kinds of things if, if there's supposed to be a reason behind it? Many times you talk to people and you're like, well, I'm giving up meat. Oh, so you're settling for the fish sandwiches at the fast food restaurants. But why? What are you, what are you wanting to accomplish? Those who do it with their right reasons would say, I'm doing this because I want to maybe focus on something that has more of my attention than it should. If I said to the students today, uh, maybe you would give up uh, social media, a gasp would be heard. If I said to the 20s and 30s, uh, give up Facebook and Twitter and Pinterest, um, there might be face-to-face -face interaction again. You would, you would never know. Um, but we wonder why. What is it that we're trying to accomplish? During the season of Lent, we're trying to, to refocus to, to reposition our hearts and our minds to be more focused on Christ, to, to capture maybe for the first time what it means to really strive for righteousness. But how can giving up Dr. Pepper or meat or chocolate or movies or driving over the speed limit help us do that? Those things by themselves don't keep us from God any more than they draw us closer to God. And some would say Dr. Pepper is ambrosia, from God. Um, others maybe not so much. Um, where do we go with this? How do we begin to rightly see the things that we want to give back to God? If we're trying to, to focus our hearts and our minds on who Christ is, then we have to step back and say, maybe, just maybe, we've allowed things to have more attention in our lives than God receives. That they, It's crept into a first place that should alone belong to God. But I think it actually goes further than that. I was reading this week, uh, just thinking through some things. I was teaching my students Lamentations. We went through that this time last year, and I was able to go back through and listen to the podcast, but also just thinking through what God is doing to the people in Israel and Judah through Lamentations. And he's gotten it to the point where he's saying, Everything that you have considered blessing, I'm going to take away. Because you have put things in front of me and put things in front of me and put things in front of me. And so I look back and I was looking at Leviticus 26, devotional reading for the week. Um, that doesn't mean I'm holier than you at all uh, because I fell asleep too. Uh, but while I was reading Leviticus 26, I saw this passage where it was talking about you will receive blessing when you follow my commands. I will bless you, I will bless you, I will bless you. And we want to stop there, but before we finish the chapter, there's this whole section where God says, if you don't do it my way, I will visit calamity upon you. And if that doesn't get your attention, then I'm going to bring it sevenfold. And if that doesn't get your attention, I'll bring it sevenfold. And if that doesn't get your attention, well, Lord, help us all. I mean, that's kind of where it gets. But the interesting thing is that Leviticus was written well before there was a temple well before there was uh, the sacrificial system was placed at the same time. Well before all of that, we have this, if you follow me, I will bless you. If you don't, bad stuff's coming. Hundreds of years will pass, and bad stuff does indeed come. If we look at Lamentations and we go back and, and hear it from last year, we would hear the prophet Jeremiah bemoaning and, and lamenting the fact that all that he has known as blessing has been taken away. God has been faithful. 
but not in the way that we typically want him to be faithful. He has been completely faithful to his promise because after warning, after warning, after warning, they continue in idolatry. And God brings them to their knees and scatters them. And so I wonder today, do we, when we come to this time of Lent, do we struggle with idols? We can kind of hear the discussion as it goes on. I don't know many of, of you probably don't have engraved images at home. Uh, maybe a little stone uh, rock god that you bow down to. I don't think anybody does that. I don't think anybody has uh, a little metal shrine with a little gold Buddha or something else in it that, that they go and they, you know, and, and go. I don't think we have that today. And so I think maybe as Americans we, we find ourselves potentially exempt, quote-unquote, from idol worship. I was reading something this week on that, and I, I began to think what that looked like. And the, the author describes something. He said, he asked this question, to what does all of our furniture point? <laughs> well, now he's stepping on my toes. Um, to what do we find ourselves uh, giving attention for what do we find ourselves spending money? All of these things wrapping our, our hearts and our minds around what could potentially be an idol. And so, and so we come to this time and we think, I'm going to evaluate my relationship with God. And as I evaluate this relationship, I need to see if maybe there's something that I'm holding on to. Something that has crept in. Something that has garnered my attention because I've allowed it to. Not that it's inherently evil, not that it's alone by itself wrong, but that for some reason it has garnered more of my attention. I think a root of that is found in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians, you yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. See, he's addressing a little church. Probably not too much bigger than us, really. And time and time again, even though they aren't the wealthiest of churches, they meet needs. They've met the Apostle Paul's needs in multiple occasions. They've helped him in, in many circumstances along the way. And now he's saying, thank you, but you shouldn't have. I'm glad you did, but you shouldn't have. 
He says, I've learned a very important lesson. I've learned how to be content in whatever circumstance I am. I've learned how to, to have abundance, and I've learned how to have little. I've learned how to, to be brought low, and I've learned how to live when everything is good. And I wonder what that looks like. Not spiritually speaking. I think he would continue to say, don't be content to settle. Don't be content to stay where you are. But financially speaking, he had learned a secret. How to be content. See, I think one of the things that offers us opportunity to build a small shrine is a form of discontentedness not happy with what we have we look and we compare we look and we see hey that is wow and then we live in this area and there's nothing wrong with this area but it's really easy to compare our stuff and their stuff it's really easy to compare this thing with that thing and maybe we allow the seeds of discontent to begin to grow to where we find ourselves seeking after a thing or a status, seeking after something that would help us be more influential. There's nothing wrong with influence and there's nothing wrong with having stuff as long as the stuff doesn't own us, as long as the stuff doesn't become that for which we strive. How many of you like to garden? One, two, three. How many of you have to garden? See, there's a difference. Um, those of you who have to garden will probably identify better with this. That's not my favorite thing at all. And I, I, when I say gardening, I'm talking like pulling weeds, uh, making the flower beds pretty, all that kind of... I would rather listen to country music than do gardening. And those of you who know me know that I would rather not listen to country music at all. Okay? Now, if I've offended you, uh, I'd apologize, but I'm not sorry. So, moving on. <laughs> I think about this often, though. Uh, when I was doing uh, this lawn maintenance stuff, I was working this <laughs> large commercial property. And it had uh, shrubs, kind of like the ones you have out here. And it also, something had gotten into it where morning glory vines had started to grow. And it crept in and literally grew up around all the, the trunks and the branches of all of the bushes. And the, the crepe myrtles that were growing up above it started having the vines, and I just hadn't really paid attention to it. I was trying to get it done. I was mowing. I had just a short amount of time, but I didn't catch these little vines until they were coming up over the crepe myrtles, trying to grab onto something. It was just all over the place. I spent hours pulling out all of these vines, trying to get them out of the shrubs so that the shrubs could have life. And the whole time, I'm bemoaning the fact that, why didn't I do this? Why didn't I do this? Why didn't I do this? And it became very abundantly clear as the Holy Spirit just kind of leaned in a little bit and said, there are things like this in your life. I tried to show you and you ignored it. And now you've got some work to do. It's taken over that which is trying to bear fruit and have life and it's choking it out. And it's time to start pulling the weeds. It's time to start pulling the vines out. It's time to take that which has a little bit of beauty, if you will, so that that which is supposed to be there can grow. 
And all of a sudden, it became very clear to me. Had I stopped it early, it wouldn't have been a problem. But because I don't want to get up under there and, and pull weeds early, I have to pay the price and continue to pull weeds afterwards. Now, I thought I got it all. Three hours pulling all this stuff out. Two weeks later, I come back and I'm ready to lose my religion. No, I'm kidding. Um, but I, I came back to this point. These stupid things came back. Well, yeah, because all I did was pull them out. What did I forget to do? Pull the roots. I didn't dig down and pull out what was going to come up again. I pulled it all off and it began to come back up. Now, fortunately, I caught it the second time. But the longer it goes underground, the harder it is to pull it up. The same thing is true spiritually. When we're talking about this time of Lent and we're starting to, to pull stuff away and we're trying to say, I'm going to, to yield this time to you, there may be stuff that comes up that we have to deal with. There may be stuff that comes up that we have to look at and say, this has too much of my attention. This has too much of my affection. This has too much of, of my adoration. If I took out my phone and my checkbook and I was able to look at both and say, what has most time been spent on? What has most money been spent on? Other than the essentials, that might be an indicator of something I need to look at. If I looked at my phone and the usage was up for certain apps, then maybe that's something I need to look at. If I've spent more than four hours a week on a certain app, unless it's an essential app like email or something, I might need to evaluate that. Four hours doesn't sound like very much. But if four hours a day on different things, maybe that needs to be evaluated even further. And so I come back to this question, why is he saying to the Philippians, learn to be content? He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And unfortunately, this verse is twisted and turned to use in all sorts of settings. I'm going to start running a marathon tomorrow. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There are people who are built for speed. There are people who are built for distance. I am built for comfort. <laughs> I could run a marathon if I trained, but I'm not in that right now. I barely have time to sleep. Some of you are like, Man, I could run a marathon. Some of you are going to do the Tough Mudder again. I'm not that guy. I claim that someday I want to be that guy. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let me stretch a little bit and let's go. Right? Or I can face this tough situation through Christ who strengthens me. Closer... But in context, it's talking about contentment, which, if we'll be honest, is a tough lesson to learn. I've learned to be content. I've learned to be satisfied in my Lord, even when not everything is there. I've learned to be satisfied in my Lord, even when it doesn't work the way I expect it to work. 
Because at the end of the chapter in verse 19, it says, My God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. There's a promise we can hold to there. That God will meet our needs. And not meet them based on our performance. Not meet them based on anything that we can accomplish. He meets them by his own riches and glory. Sometimes we experience need in order to come to him to grow in dependence. Not grow in dependence, grow in space dependence on him. Not because he's not going to meet our need, but because he wants us to find our need met in him. So how does that come back to the question of idolatry? How does that come back to the question of giving stuff up for Lent? It's all connected. If we are dependent on something or someone other than God to meet our needs, we're in idolatry. Nobody wants to hear it that way. But if we are seeking something to meet our need that does not come from God, we're in idolatry. This isn't popular. It isn't pleasant. It isn't comfortable. Because it means I've got to look at my life and ask the question, am I content with what you've given me? Am I content with how you provided for me? Or am I striving for something else? If I'm striving for something else, that something else is creeping into first place in my life. And while I want to say that I worship God fully, if this is competing and he has a first place, then he can become second place. But if he has only place as king of my life, everything else falls into right order. I'm not here to beat you up today. In fact, if anything, I want to, to use the time to point to the Lent season, pointing to the greatest gift, the greatest need we have met, and that is in Christ and the resurrection. And as we look at that, if there's something that is keeping us from fully understanding, from fully following, from fully devoting ourselves to that, then that has to be evaluated and removed. Now, I am not suggesting that you take the words of this message, you go home, you grab your TVs, and you throw them in the yard. Unless you can't turn it off. Unless you have to have your whichever show it is. And I'm not going to name shows because we'll get everybody in trouble. Most of us could reach in our pockets or our purses. I didn't bring my purse. Um, could reach in our purses or our pockets and pull out a very helpful tool. That if we're not careful, and I'm just as guilty, if we're not careful, we'll gather more of our attention. We find ourselves... 5, 10, 30, 45 minutes have passed. There's nothing wrong with those things unless it captures our attention. Anything that captures our attention more than God has to be evaluated. Anything that captures our attention more than God has to be evaluated. 
we've been given a great gift as we look ahead to Easter Sunday. Maybe it's time in this season of Lent not to give something up just to say you gave something up, but to evaluate where you are with Christ. To spend maybe a few more minutes praying than scrolling. And this isn't something with me standing on an ivory white pedestal with my finger extended wagging in condemnation. This is just as much a message for me because I don't want the discipline that comes from having an idol in my life or in my family's life or in my church family's life. But ultimately, it's not about the discipline. It's about a right relationship with our Father. Have you learned the secret of being content? Have you learned the secret of trusting in God? And the only way to grow in that trust is for sometimes for that, that trust to be stretched. Have you learned the secret? Do you want to learn the secret? Because it sounds a little uncomfortable. It's worthwhile, but it sounds a little uncomfortable. Here's my challenge to you. We have now four weeks four weeks until Easter. What can you do in the next four weeks to intentionally draw nearer to Christ? What plan can you make? What change can you make? What settled intentional thing can you do to be more related to Christ and more committed to Christ in the next four weeks? It could be a minor thing like Dr. Pepper. It could be a major thing. I don't know. And so I simply want to challenge you. Evaluate your heart and lay it before our King. Because anything that is keeping you from Him being King in every aspect of your life has the potential to be an idol. Let's pray together.